0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's
1: chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life.
2: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Slow Burn Media, an evergreen podcast presents Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless.
2: Uphalding County Judge revived hopes of a family searching for answers in a 1960 murder. Today, the judge approved the request of Nancy Eagleson's family to exhume her body to search for DNA evidence. Eagleson was 14 years old when she was abducted while walking home with her sister Cheryl from the movies on November 13, 1960. Her body was found early the next day and no one has ever been charged. The family believes there may be some DNA on the body or inside the coffin. Cheryl says she hopes this is the first step in getting long awaited answers. I always ask myself, you know, why didn't you take me? Why didn't you take me too? You know, Um, and I was left behind, but I think I was left behind for a reason now. As I said, I have a a nice, beautiful family and that's why And I can't keep asking why so but i'm just so happy uh that that we get this uh got this yes so we can kind of maybe put an answer to some of our questions the family has 75 days to have the body exhumed we'll continue to follow this story for you
1: hello and welcome to a very special two-part episode of who killed episode 199 and 200. i am your host bill huffman and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer podcast production. And it would not be an episode of Who Killed if I did not have the most popular guest on the episode today. And that would be one Nick Edwards, the host of True Crime Garage. And welcome to the show, Nick.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on making it to episode 200. It's... Uh doesn't sound like that great of an achievement, right? 200 doesn't seem like that big of a number, but I beg of everybody out there, all the listeners out there that don't think that it's that great of an achievement, troll around on the internet, troll around on your podcast app on your, on your phone or your favorite listening device and see just, you see how many people have actually made it to 200 episodes. It's, there's a lot of people trying, and not a lot of people getting there. And Bill, you've done it. How long has it taken you to get to uh, 200?
1: Officially, it has taken me four years and one month. So Beautiful. Uh, kind of uh, about 45 a year, 48 a year episodes. So, uh, yeah, it's worked out pretty well. And uh, so far, so good. And we've covered a lot of interesting cases. And you and I have covered some interesting cases together. And you've been involved with a certain uh, nonprofit and you guys actually some really big news uh, that just happened recently. And uh, could you give us a little background on uh, this case about uh, Nancy Eagleson?
0: So I will kind of fill you in on all the details here because we covered this case on True Crime Garage and the victim's name, as you said, is Nancy Eagleson. This case is 62 years old. It's an unsolved homicide case and unsolved abduction and rape and homicide case out of a little corner of Ohio called Paulding, Ohio, which is a village. It's too small to have city status. And the village of Paulding, Ohio is actually the county seat of the county of Paulding, Ohio. Now, it's such a small area, small population area, that I've lived in this great state for all of my life, and I had never heard of Paulding, Ohio, before. Now, what was so interesting to me about this case here, Bill, and a little bit how, you know, we'll, we'll take the listeners into how the sauce is made a little bit here, right? When When I first was told about this case, I thought, that would make a great episode for True Crime Garage, right? We would be able to tell people about a case that most people haven't heard of, some people have forgotten about, and that's what we do. We provide a voice for the people that that are don't have a platform. And so I wanted to bring Nancy's case into the spotlight, at least the garage spotlight, and tell all the listeners about Nancy's case and remind everybody out there that have heard of the case from People from Ohio, some people from Toledo in the defiance area, they've heard of this case and remember this case, but remind them that it's still unsolved and it's still an open case. So I thought this would make a great episode. Well, we end up doing four episodes on the case because once you really start diving into this thing and peeling back each layer of the onion there, there is a lot of story here. There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of suspects that have been considered over the years. And the way that I got involved with this case is rather unique. It's not how we typically do things here in the garage. In fact, I got involved in this case through Porchlight, which, as you know, and we've talked about Porchlight on your great show many times. Porchlight is a nonprofit organization that I work for and donate my time to and a organization that you have spoke highly of on your show and been gracious enough to allow me to plug what it is that we do and, and request the public's help here on your show. And we're basically a nonprofit organization that helps victims. We, 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 we are looking to be a victim advocacy program here in the state of Ohio. So if we have a cold case... We are going to represent the person that was murdered as well as helping out their family members and loved ones and friends who are still left hurting and have not been able to find justice for their loved one. So. With the Barbie Blatnick case, that's kind of the case in Ohio that we're we're well known for. That case was 30 years old. It was a cold case homicide case, and we used DNA genealogy, familial de- genealogy detection work to find the perpetrator, find the killer of Barbie Blatnick. And that man, his name was not even in the police file. And that, that's no reflection on the hard work that the police put in on Barbie's cl- case at the time they did gangbusters work on the case. It was a complicated case and it turns out she was killed by a complete stranger. And that's, that makes sense that his name would not have appeared in the case file because there was no connection between victim and perpetrator in that case. So we end up getting an arrest in that case in a case that's over 30 years old. So we're kind of known for that case. Now, a lot of people think that that is the only thing that the Porchlight Project does, that, that it's simply we're looking for DNA and we're going to do genealogy work on it and solve a case that way. That's not technically it. We, we try to offer a variety of services to the victim's families. And in Nancy's case, the case is 62 years old. And there wasn't a lot in the way of evidence that was stored at the Paulding County Sheriff's Office.
1: Yeah, And so, yeah. 62
0: years. Some of it... So, in, in a lot of these cases, especially these old ones, you do have a lack of evidence. One, they didn't know what to collect back then. Two, they didn't know what to hold on to if they did collect it. And then three... And this is going to be jarring to some people, but it, this does occur. This is not the only case that I've I've uh, worked that have experienced this. But the evidence is lost. A lot of the physical evidence in Nancy's case has been lost. Now, is that due to time? Is that due to malfeasance or what have you? We don't know. We can't say. And, you know, everybody and their brother can be as angry as they want about the situation, unfortunately, there's nobody to blame or even point the finger at because the people that are currently working her case, the Paulding County Sheriff's Office and Ohio BCI, the people that work there today weren't even alive. Some of them, most of them weren't even alive when Nancy was killed. So the the current regime is not responsible for whatever happened to that physical evidence. So and yeah, and, we... re- and in
1: re- in regards to that evidence, though, I mean, when you have a case that's so old, and you do come across this a lot, and it does anger, you know, obviously the family and stuff, but I mean, think about it: police off, you know, police departments change buildings, they uh, go through the digital to or you know, print to digital phase where stuff can get lost, and there are a lot of opportunities for it to get lost, and again malfeasance yeah i mean sure that's a case-by-case thing because if there's somebody within the department that's purposely doing that then that's one thing but you know this is again a long time ago stuff is going to go through the cracks it's just part of the the way of the world unfortunately
0: and her family her sister, she have she has two sisters, Meryl and Cheryl, that are still around, and they are fabulous people, wonderful individuals, and they're fighting very hard for their sister, even to this day. And they you know, they're they're angry about the missing evidence, and rightfully so, but you know, it's it's one of those situations where I don't know if it's so much a finger pointing issue because the sheriff's department says, look, we don't have this. We don't know why we don't have it. But, the you know, we have to keep in mind.
1: Can I ask you, uh, did they have an inventory list of what they had originally collected? And that's why they're able to say, yeah, we don't have this, 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 and this.
0: Yes. So the inventory list would have consisted of things like her clothing because her body was found relatively short after short period of time after she was abducted. And we'll get into the details of the case here in a minute. But and that's one of the things that's so haunting and scary about this case really is, is how quickly her body was found. But so you, the physical evidence at the time would have been her clothing, anything that was her personal belongings that was with her that night, as well as there were some things from the crime scene or at least where her body was found that they collected as well. And these things would have been like hair um and i think there was a broken tree branch that was collected so the sisters the family and a lot of people in the community are upset that the this physical evidence no longer exists or at least it can't be found and you also have a situation where there there there's some questions of who actually lost it it should have been the, in the custody of the sheriff's department would be my expectation but you also have, even back then, you had crime labs. You had, you know, the, the, they. it's a small area. So these, these items, these physical items, if they were going to be tested for anything, would have been shipped off elsewhere to Toledo, likely, would be my guess. And you also have the, the funeral home that, that took care of Nancy's services. And some of those items could have ended up there as well. So it's not so easy to just point your finger at the sheriff's department and say, what the hell happened here, guys? So Nancy's case, let's go back 62 years, okay? And this was a case that took place November thirteenth, 1960 in Paulding, Ohio. Now, when this case came to me, And one of the services that we thought we would be offering, the Porchlight Project, to the Eagleson family was simply renewed media coverage of their sister's case. That's one of the services that we can offer. So when we're sitting around in our meeting and somebody says, hey, has anybody heard of this Nancy Eagleson case? This was brought to us. All the cases that Porchlight takes on are cases that are brought to us by somebody in the general public that that submits an inquiry or a recommendation. Could you look into this? Sometimes it comes from a family member of a victim. Sometimes it just comes from somebody that grew up in the area. But this one found us in a weird way. So there is a, a lady named Rachel, wonderful lady. She is a part of a website called uncovered.com. So uncovered.com is working to create a national database of cold case homicides and missing persons. And this is quite the undertaking because there's, there's a ton of these cases as you know, out there, Bill, but what's so brilliant about it is some States have these databases of unsolved homicides and missing persons, but to my knowledge there's not one comprehensive one that that's very thorough and and complete nationwide and so that is their goal and they're doing a very good job with it they're in the uh, early stages of this but it's the website is up and running and there are thousands of cases on there so if anybody wants to check out uncovered.com do that but the way that this case comes to Porchlight was through Uncovered.com. So Rachel, who is part of the, the creation of Uncovered.com, and if I have that wrong, I apologize to anybody out there. I don't know the workings of Un- Uncovered, but that is what I believe it to be. And so she reached out to Porchlight. She actually grew up in Paulding, and when she started this website, her a relative or somebody, maybe her father says, hey, you you must include the Nancy Eagleson case. And that's when she is Rachel's then brought up to speed from her relative about this case that is at the time in 1960. And for a very long time, this was a very infamous case in that area. Now, when we're having our porchlight meeting and we decide, yes, we can we can get renewed media coverage on this case. So we have a few people on our board members that work for some different news outlets. And so that's always a possibility, but those news outlets that, that they work for, they are in another part of the state of Ohio and people that have never been to Ohio, they don't realize how big this, this is a big state. Lots of big
1: cities that are a lot of medium sized cities that people don't even realize that are there. I mean, Dayton, Youngstown, Finley and, and how long
0: how long does it take one to get from Cincinnati to Cleveland five or well, four, four four and hours. a half five hours yeah five if you're driving real slow real slow <laughs> with some Columbus but, traffic thanks but to the for Buckeyes. for example I live it's for example I live north of Columbus and Paulding Ohio is in the northwest Corner. I always get east and west screwed up for whatever reason. Not there's that no smart. easy
1: way to get there.
0: No, there's no easy way to get there. It's a two hour and twenty minute drive from from my street. And again, I'm I'm north of Columbus, so it's in the middle of well, nowhere. Yeah, it's right on the Indiana state line. the yeah. The Paulding County line butts up to the Indiana state line. So. Anyway, we're having this conversation at our little roundtable discussion deciding on how we can help in the Eagleson case. And the news outlets that, that we have connections with, they're in a different part of the state. So, of course, they, True Crime Garage nationwide, thank God, worldwide. It's the worldwide garage cast. Um, I said, you know what? I I love – I have a fascination and a deep intrigue with Ohio cold cases, and that's part of the reason why I found myself – working with Porchlight and part of the reason why I'm doing true crime garage. And so I said, of course I I would love to take a look at this case, especially if the sisters are willing to talk to me and and help me out. And so I said in our meeting, I go, and I know that with these smaller towns, it's really the County, the sheriff's department, the, that you want to be dealing with that that's going to be the investigating agency. So I said, to the group does anybody know happen to know what county paulding village is in <laughs> and one person in the group this is a pretty smart group of people there's like 10 of us one of us go, one of them goes i believe it's in paulding county nick that would make a lot of sense and i thought I've never even heard of Paulding County. There's 88 counties in the great state of Ohio. I memorized about 75 of them. So <laughs> right. I'm going yeah. to give you that test. I just, <laughs> I just lied. I just lied to America right there. Um, the world, the whole worldwide garage cast. Um, so anyway, I had to figure out where Paulding was and I, they had uncovered had put a good amount of information on Nancy's case. On their website,
1: it's it's impressive. It's it's an extremely impressive uh, collection of information. I mean, they have the timeline, they have the maps, they have. I mean, you weren't kidding when you say that this is an undertaking of great, um, you know, mass because there are so many unsolved cases, and yeah, the the amount of detail that they have in just for you know Nancy's case is impressive because again, that was sixty-two years ago, so. Uh, very, very cool that they're doing that. Great project.
0: Well, and they have so much information on Nancy's case because of a couple reasons. One, the sisters have been active working this case and reminding the public about this case for years. Two, the sheriff's department is eager to help in this case too and, and get the media involved as well. So you have this situation where everybody's kind of coming together. This to me, You know, I've done several interviews, a lot of Fort Wayne, Indiana news interviews, because Fort Wayne's probably the closest major city to to Paulding. Yeah, it is. And they're more aware of the case than some people in Ohio. And so doing these interviews with these news outlets in, in Fort Wayne, I've said, you know, this to me is community. Crime fighting, community crime prevention, co- community justice for the victims at its greatest. I've, I've been involved with Porchlight for years. Been doing True Crime Garage for seven years. I've never seen a collective of people come together like this. I mean, you're, we're talking the sheriff's department, the victims' family, the whole community of Paulding Village, Porchlight, Uncovered, um, it, the, and the list goes on and on and on. It doesn't stop there. And so I've been very impressed with the community that's come together to fight for Nancy Eagleson. Why are we fighting for her? Because she was a victim of a horrific crime. And listen to this. This is, this is downright scary shit right here. November 13th, 1960. It's a Sunday. Okay. Nancy Eagleson, she's 14 years old at the time. She's with her five-year-old sister. Now they don't live terribly far from the downtown area of Paulding Village. And so they are downtown and they're going to go to a movie. And from my understanding, it may have been a double feature that day. They go to this movie, and afterwards, they decide that they're going to they're going to need a walk home. And they're going to make a few stops along their way. Their first stop is at a locally owned restaurant. They stop in there to have a soda chit chat and then they continue along their walk their next stop they stop at the bowling alley why do they stop at the bowling alley this is because their father has like a weekend gig at the bowling alley right so he's got a regular nine to five monday through friday job and it sounds to me like he kind of works at the bowling alley for fun more or less not necessarily for money gotta get the free games well, you know, you know, one thing that I used to do, especially when I was younger, is that if there was a place that I liked to hang out, I would try to get a part-time job there because I would eat, I'd be there anyway, so why not get paid a little bit to to be hanging out? So that's what I think uh, Mr. Eagleson was doing. If I had to, had to nothing wrong with that. that. Nothing wrong with that at all. So he's he's working at the bowling alley. They stop by, they drop because it's on their way anyway. They drop by this bowling alley, and it sounds like they wouldn't mind getting a ride home from dad. And dad's like, they, see, these are one of the, the heartbreaking moments. You know how it is, Bill, when you look into these different cases, there are these little heartbreaking moments where, you know, you know that everybody is going, damn it. If I would have just done this one thing differently, our whole world would have been completely different. And Nancy and her little sister, Cheryl, they drop by the bowling alley they hang out briefly, ask dad for a ride home. Dad's like, yeah, I can give you a ride home, but my shift isn't over for like another 45 minutes. 14-year-olds don't like to wait, do they? So unfortunately, Nancy and Cheryl decide to continue on, and their home is not very far from this bowling alley. We're talking half a mile at most. Yeah, I mean, it
1: says five blocks on un- Uncovered, so I mean, just... Not very far. And again, this is a very small town.
0: Yes. Small town USA. And anybody that's been to like these towns that that still... That you feel like you're almost transformed back in time when you go to them. This is a, a town where you have the town square. The downtown Paulding area. Everything's really in this square. And then once you get outside of that, it's kind of these uh different roads with with houses on both sides. Now they're going to go, they walk over a bridge and they're on their street this this whole time they, and they have to pass this uh closed down I don't know if it's a gas station or like a little convenience store or whatever but it's not in operation at the time. And when the two of them walk past this now keep in mind it's November. So it's already dark by the time that they're making this walk and they walk by and it's believed that there was a vehicle that was parked there and they walk past the vehicle. And then at some point they realize that, Hey, there's a car behind them. Now it's uncertain if the vehicle is the same one that was parked at the abandoned gas station. That's just so creepy. And it's the vehicle though, Bill, it's like, it's kind of trolling them, right? It's like idle speed slowing down. It, you know, walking speed isn't very fast. The, the, this person should be going 35 mile an hour on this road and whizzing right by him. You know, the feeling of
1: being followed is a true feeling. And if you feel it generally, you are, I mean, it's, it's just, it's an instinct that you have as uh fight or flight. Um, takes over. Uh, I think it's, uh, common for people to, I mean, I've been followed. I mean, I was followed mm-hmm. when I was 11 years old a year after Amy's disappearance and that scared the crap out of me. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think you know it when it's happening.
0: Do you know that it's happening now? Cause I'm following you on Twitter.
1: Oh, ho, 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 zinger there.
0: <laughs> um, Hey, uh, so they, they're walking, right? And there's some brief conversation between the two sisters that they realize this, there's a car here. And they have an uneasy feeling about this. And the the driver of the vehicle slows down. And there's a couple different versions of this story, so I'll just try to be a little more thorough than necessary. We don't need to pick apart exactly what happened because it's hard to say. There's, there's really only three people that know, and two mm-hmm. of them aren't talking, and right. one of them was five years old and traumatized by this experience. So the man rolls down the window, asks for directions or something like that. Drives off and then comes back and asks for if they want a ride. And when this is asked, what what is the directions portion is a little in question, but the asking them if they want a ride is not. Cheryl says that one. I remember that 100%. The man asked us if we wanted a ride. And I remember that because my sister Nancy said, no, thanks. We are only a few houses away. Now they're like four houses from their own and they are in front of somebody else's house. There are homes that line the sides of the street. This man gets out of his dark colored four door vehicle, runs up to Nancy, grabs her and throws her in the back seat of his vehicle. Meanwhile, sister Cheryl tries to fight for her sister. He, she runs up and tries to hit or grab the man to which she's quickly pushed away, thrown down. The man gets in the vehicle and speeds off. Cheryl, having just witnessed her sister's abduction runs to the nearest home, which The terrifying thing about this whole, I mean, look, an abduction is horrifying and terrifying on its own. Now, let's compound that with the idea that this person did it in full view of several homes. It's a Sunday night in small town, Ohio, 1960. People were generally home at that time. Yeah. And he leaves a witness. He didn't care that there was another witness there and no attempt to take Cheryl at all. That's this so is weird. Michael Myers type stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. If Mike Myers had a car. so <laughs> I think he did in the last one. She runs to the nearest home, which is right in front of where they where the abduction took place. And pounds on the door. She's screaming. Homeowners answer the door. It's people that they know. Like, the, they're neighbors of the Eaglesons. And people that had actually babysat for... Uh, Cheryl at, at one point anyway there's some delay in reporting this and this this is also scary stuff and also a sign of the times back in 1960 right the those people didn't have a phone they didn't have a home phone which was not terribly uncommon back in 1960 so they had to race off to a phone somewhere and call the sheriff's department and and tell them hey Nancy Eagleson was abducted right in front of our house. And here's the description, the best that this five-year-old can give you. And Nancy Eagleson is depending on what article you read or what timeline you review. She's found approximately six to seven hours later. She was sexually assaulted and she was shot in the head. And Uh, She's found in a wooded area not terribly far from the abduction site. It's like six, seven miles from the abduction site. And to be honest with you, Bill, if you look at this on a map, it's almost like she was abducted and then just driven down the road. And we don't know where the assault took place. We don't know what kind of assault took place. We also don't know where she was killed. Was she killed where she was found? Or was she killed elsewhere? There's a lot of debate and has been for 62 years on that. Was she killed where she was found? Or was she killed in a possibly in the vehicle that took her? Or was she taken elsewhere for a brief period of time? Those are things that we cannot answer. We don't know the the answers to those questions. But what a horrific crime and what a horrific case. She the police are out the Eagleson family's out looking for her, and she is found by hunters that are out raccoon hunting that night, which you hunt those type of animals at nighttime, and they find her body in a she's about a hundred feet off of a of, uh, country road. I've been to that country road. And it's still very much a country road. And I would bet in 1960, it was probably a gravel road. And so there are a few missteps that I think by the, the sheriff's department back in 1960 that I would, would wish that would have been worked differently. Um, I believe that this individual one would have based off of Cheryl's description Of the abduction. So this was a unique situation for me where not only did I have the description of the abduction and had been to the site of the abduction, but in this case, I had been to the site of the abduction given the description by the only witness. Cheryl and I walked that little stretch of road where her sister was abducted from. And the Eagleson family showed me the site where. Nancy's body was later recovered and both situations I would believe that tire tracks would have been made by the perpetrator especially at the for a lack of a better term dump site or the body recovery site sure and I think that the, the a misstep there was not collecting those tire tracks if they did exist which I do think that they, that they would have, because given the lay of the land, if somebody, we have people out looking for this girl. If that vehicle that placed Nancy in that wooded area 100 feet from the road was still on the road, country road or not, the reflectors would would pick up and have been spotted by people out looking for her. But they weren't. Why weren't they? That's because I think that the person drove off the road and closer to the tree line and it kind of dips down. It's not quite a ditch, but it dips down from the road there today. And there is some thought that the, the uh, perpetrator's car may have even struck a tree stump. Whoops. So there, there is some collective agreement that possibly that this person would have went off road at some point. Now, why the tire tracks weren't weren't uh, collected? There's a there's a lot of reasons why. One, this was not a a very well secured crime scene. Sure, absolutely. It's 1960. They they didn't know to do this, and, and 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 it's not just know to do it too. It's the the sheriff department consists of like three people. Yeah, they don't even have then. the so,
1: tools to to.
0: You don't like, even have the personnel to, that's to set saying. up a perimeter and say, hey,
1: don't drive over here. That's the word I'm looking and, for, perimeter. You can't even set up a perimeter with three people. I mean, you don't even have probably caution tape back in the day. I mean, it's just they probably I don't know. But I could see how that would easily be something that investigators, as much as it's frustrating. Yeah, they could see them not being able to. Um, dis- well, it, I would say this about the tire tracks is. Who knows if they drove, did they drive their cars down there too? You know, right. like, did they?
0: And that's what I suspect happened. Yeah. So they mixed
1: them all up and so they don't know what's what. And But does it matter? I mean, should they have taken a or cast? Or trampled over them. They, yeah. could, they could still have taken a cast of the stuff and, you know,
0: seen what happened. And abduction murder cases are rare today in Paulding County. Yeah. Even more so 62 years ago. And so this case, it it was, you know, so I, when we first took a look at this, the whole idea was that True Crime Garage was just going to do an episode on it. And it, it quickly, with all the people coming together and all these agencies coming together and wanting to work and help on this case, it it immediately became much bigger than that. So once i learn a whole lot more about this story we end up doing four episodes on it on true crime garage and that's because there's there's no shortage of of suspects in this case which makes sense it is 62 years old people get suspicious of damn near everybody Mm -hmm. on a long enough timeline sure you've all seen that but the other thing that one thing that was impressive That the sheriff did. I actually, there there was some really good uh, police work done by the sheriff at the time. So one thing that he did that was really impressive was he was in contact with two other jurisdictions during the early, the first year, let's say, of his investigation of Nancy's case. So one was a jurisdiction in Illinois that had a similar type case. One was a jurisdiction in Michigan that had a similar type case. This is almost unheard of. We, right? The, the linkage blindness that took place amongst police departments and sheriff's offices in the 60s, 70s, and even in the 80s had so much trouble connecting series of homicides. And it was such a benefit to serial killers at the time that these jurisdictions weren't communicating with one another. Here, 1960, we have Sheriff Keeler from Paulding County, who is in cons- who is in communication with il- with a jurisdiction in Illinois and in Michigan, discussing details about their open cases. That's almost unheard of in 1960. So, what, so he
1: deserves a big kudos for that. What were some of the things that stood out between the cases that made them? Connect them, or think that they may be connected.
0: Uh, victimology was one in both of the cases. Uh, we were talking about uh, y- young girls, so Nancy being fourteen, and in the Illinois case, I think the the girl was even younger than that, probably about eight. Now, the murder weapon, while it was not the same caliber, it was in both cases, in Illinois and the Paulding case, Nancy's case, it was a gun that was used to kill. The victim. So, and the in the Illinois case, the Illinois case is very strange, and its connection to Nancy Eagleson's case very strange as well. So, the way that this plays out, Bill, is that we have um, a little girl who is abducted on her way walking to church. This is the Illinois case, and she's taken to a wooded area assaulted and shot sound familiar that's what happened to nancy sure does on sunday the date the next day is when nancy is abducted and similar circumstances now in nancy's case we have a witness to tell us that it was an actual abduction in the illinois case there is some thought that maybe the victim had been being groomed because there was A lot of people out on the street that day, a lot of neighbors, you know, in and out of their homes that day. And we know that the victim in Illinois was abducted within about two blocks of her home because she didn't have very far to make it to church. And we have eyewitnesses that see her walk past her street and make it onto the second street. So it's about two blocks from her home that she's abducted. And. There's some thought that she might have been being groomed because there's no one to say, oh, I heard a scream or I saw some kind of scuffle or or I saw some guy pulling a kid into a car. There's nobody saying that. So there's some thought that either she was tricked into getting into the vehicle quietly or that maybe the perpetrator knew her and had groomed her a little bit and she was willing to go with him. Sounds a little like Amy. I mean, yes. minus the bruise. Exactly. And the victim's name is Gloria Kowalowitz. Yes. And she was on her way to, from what her father says, is she had recently taken on commu- um, communion at her Catholic church. And I'm raised Catholic, and we did communion, and I, I, I never experienced this, but the father says that th- – all of the kids her age were to take communion once a day for two weeks straight. So they were all trekking off to the church for communion daily for two weeks. sounds like a rush period or like, yeah, I don't know.
1: There's something weird about that, but yeah, I, I haven't heard about that before when it comes to the, uh, to communion, you know, I had a lot, I mean, I grew up in a very strong Catholic, um, city and uh gosh i just don't recall ever hearing about that particular but then again you know i was a kid what, what, what do i know but well and but so you were Catholic. That you is, said you didn't know that. i mean i don't know maybe every i didn't, is I'd different. never heard of that either
0: okay um but you know maybe it's an old school thing we again we're talking 62 years ago yeah and we're and also talking about
1: small town and they might have their own traditions in this small town you know church i mean it's just they could be the way they've done well, it for 100
0: years. This is the Illinois case, and it's actually um, oh, okay. very near oh, Chicago. Gotcha. Okay. I'm so, sorry. Apologies to the listeners. But, but what's crazy is you're right. Like, think about the contrast between the two areas, right? Paulding, super small, super small population. Gloria's case in Illinois, Chicago, one of the biggest cities in this great country. So. Gloria is, she either went willingly or she's abducted, and again, she's found, she's found two very quickly. Like, Saturday afternoon, she's abducted and then killed, and then we have somebody that later that afternoon finds her body. Question.
1: Yes, sir. What is, I know this is, I mean, there are no dumb questions, I guess, but with the finding of these bodies so quickly, is there any thought that the person that is helping search is involved with
0: the killings? So I know that in the Eagleson case, that was a was a big suspicion and big time suspicion. Okay. In Gloria's case, I couldn't find that that was something that was suspected. Um, and with with her case, the the individual that, that found her was working. He was driving a laundry truck that day and he was on his lunch break when he finds he sees something suspicious and then reports it. So I don't know if they were easily able to take a look at him and maybe his route that day and figure out that he couldn't have been the one to have abducted her. I, I don't know how that worked out. In the, in both cases, they have suspects, but early on, they shared a suspect. And what was weird about that was there was a, a, a young man who had recently been released from a, well, like a, like a mental institution, right? It was still a thing then. Yep. And he, he was recently released in, uh, Illinois. So he steals a vehicle, and then he's picked up on the Monday after Nancy's killed in Indiana. So for those of you that don't own maps or didn't pay attention in school, you have Illinois, and then to the east you have Indiana, and east of that you have Ohio, and then north of all of those you have Michigan, right?
1: And people say you only went to college for computer
0: there's going to be a test at the end of the show. So I hope everybody's paying attention. So when this dude is picked up, he's picked up in a stolen car and he's, they find some blood on his clothing and they ask him, you know, where he's been, what's he doing in a stolen car? He says that he went up to Michigan and he's, they know he's from Illinois and they have blood on him. Well, well, One could very easily have driven from the area where Gloria was abducted and killed, made their way through Indiana, up through Paulding, Ohio, through Defiance, Ohio, and then continued on up into Michigan and then start to make their way back. So they got this dude and they're like, maybe he. Maybe he stole the car and used it to kill Gloria or stole the car and just went on a killing spree. And we caught him. We found him sleeping in a stolen car in Indiana. So he's arrested and he's immediately considered a suspect in both of these uh, homicides. And he has the classic so this
1: serial is killer name.
0: <laughs> Robert Lee Stovall. Just the
1: three. Li- it's, I mean, it's just, I mean <laughs> come on. That is like perfect for... Being a killer's name like just sounds Henry Lee Lucas. Henry Lee Lucas, <laughs> yeah. Lee
0: Harvey Oswald. <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee is not a great name. No, to- Arthur Lee Allen. <laughs> Wayne Wayne is the one that you really want to avoid. If you don't want to raise a serial killer, start by not giving him the middle name of Wayne or the first name of Wayne. Yeah, oh. that's that's signing the the individual up for uh, for some to be a sadist. That's like anyway some Omen stuff there. <laughs> yeah so he's this dude's found sleeping in the stolen car in laporte indiana he's wearing bloody clothing he tells the police that look my clothing is bloody because i was in a bar fight up in michigan uh he's kind of lying about where he's from he's lying about where he was going he's lying about the vehicle he says that it was his sister's vehicle and then they're like they run the check on it they're like yeah this doesn't belong to your sister and he's like Oh, I met my sister's boyfriend. And then they're like, yeah, that doesn't work either, man. Uh, you stole this car. <laughs> so he is promptly returned to Illinois, and I believe he was institutionalized again afterwards. Now, the problem, though, Bill, is nothing really comes of this lead. As as guilty as this guy looks and as quickly as his name found its way to the papers is as quickly as it disappears from the papers. And it seems to be that Paulding was a little quick to believe that, that Robert Lee Stovall had nothing to do with, um, Nancy's murder. Now, again, the caliber of gun that was used in, in Gloria's case and Nancy's case is different. So that there alone points to the somewhat likelihood that it's a different perpetrator and it would be difficult for an individual, not impossible clearly because they picked up Robert Lee Stovall and thought that maybe he was the killer in both, both cases, but we can all agree that it would be difficult for a person to kill abduct and kill somebody in Illinois on one day. And then the very next day abduct and kill somebody in Ohio. It it's not impossible, but it would be difficult. So as quickly as these two cases are connected, they are are then they kind of go their own separate ways. Now, if we fast forward in the Illinois case and the Kowalowitz case, there were a lot of similar crimes going on in the greater Chicago area leading up to Gloria's abduction and murder and even afterward. And to this day, Authorities believe that there were probably more than one serial offender operating in that area at the time, and they believe, I don't know how much this is based off of evidence or just off of lack of evidence, right? Because you can connect things either way. But lack of evidence or evidence or otherwise To this day, the belief is that Gloria Kowalowicz's case, while it still sits unsolved, is likely connected to one of those other series of crimes that was going on at the time.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't have been unusual for uh, multiple serial offenders in the Chicago area. As we know, it's a very large city, as well as the fact that uh, this was 1960. And so it was very easy for people to just basically get away with murder.
0: And I mean... They just didn't have the technology. So unfortunately, Gloria is killed in 1960, and there were seven unsolved child murders that plagued the region since 1955. And in 1961, they actually put together a task force. And our coverage of, of this story was about Nancy Eagleson's case and Gloria's case became part of that story, but that was not the investigation that we were going into. So once the the, the paths kind of separate there and the investigations take different avenues and different directions, well, that's when we kind of stepped aside from Gloria's case. I'm guessing And I would like to go back and revisit this more in depth on a future episode. But I'm guessing that it's through the work of that task force that was created in Chicago that they determined that that her case was likely connected to some of these other cases. Now, I know that a lot of true crime people that are really dialed into the community and dialed into these old cold cases listen to your show. So... One of the cases that is in consideration for being connected to that maybe a lot of your listeners have heard of would be the Grimes sisters, Barbara and Patricia, age 15 and 13, Mm -hmm. who were killed in 1956. Um, So that's one that's in consideration to be. uh, We know that the detectives that worked the Grimes case consulted with the detectives that worked Gloria's case. So there there was at least enough thought to have that communication and those meetings that took place back then. Gloria's case, very sad stuff and, and remains unsolved to this day. Nancy Eagleson's case, again, unsolved and, and remains so to this day. With her case, with the Nancy case bill, mm-hmm. oddly enough, there's thought that her case may have been linked to a serial offender in the northwest Ohio area from the time. And so that was always the debate in the village of Paulding. The great debate, as we should call it, because that's truly what it is. I've been up to Paulding a couple times, and man, I'm telling you that first off, the best people in the world right there. I mean, just some of the the greatest people, the community there is it's like family. Like it, you, you just feel like the whole town is one big extended family. Everybody knows everybody. And, and you know, when I contacted the sheriff, his name is Jason Landers. Great guy. Um, You know me, Bill. I'm fairly tall myself. I I met uh, Sheriff Landers, and I was a little taken aback because he's about a head taller than I am. And I thought, I'm never going to commit a crime in Paulding County. I do not want this guy tackling me to the ground. Um, So I met with Sheriff Landers. Again, great guy, and he tells me first words out of his mouth, Bill. The Nancy Eagleson case is the most heartbreaking case in the history of our county.
1: That's
0: sound invested to you. I think so. And
1: I would doubt that it's, I mean, I would highly doubt that's not the case. I mean, again, Paulding County and Paulding are small, small rural communities in Western Ohio and Western Ohio. As much as there's, you know, big cities that dot the interstates that go up, you know, towards Michigan Again, these places in between are little, small, farm-based you know, based towns, like classic 1950s. I mean, this was 1960, but, I mean, very Mayberry, very, um, you know, just your typical Norman Rockwell small town. And on that note, we are going to conclude this week's episode of Who Killed?, Episode 199 is in the books, and we are on deck for episode 200. As you know, I drop new episodes of Who Killed Every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, as well as if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so by following me at BillHuffman3. You can uh, follow me on Instagram at media as well as if you'd like to donate to the show, you could do so via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. As always, I would not be here without you guys, so thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you so much to Nick, the co-host of the True Crime Garage podcast, and again, you can find their show wherever you get your favorite shows. So, thanks again. Tune in next week for part two of the Nancy Eagleson case.
2: No,
1: Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.